0: আর Koyal is 55 years old, he lives
1: in the Moshuni village on the western borders of Shundabans in West Bengal, India. Speaking in Bengali, in the aftermath of Cyclone Amphan, he is telling us that his home Moshuni is shrinking. Frequent cyclones and sea level rise have engulfed almost 10% of the island in just the last 15 years. Most villagers are shifting inland looking for somewhere safer to move to in the next few days the fate of millions like shrikanto and his children and their children will essentially be decided This episode is produced with support from DBT Welcome Trust India Alliance. Welcome to this special episode on the 2021 United Nations Climate Change Conference, also known as COP26, taking place as we speak in Glasgow. I'm your host, Shubhra Priyadarshini. This global summit is seen as crucial if climate change is to be brought under control to curb the impacts that are threatening billions of people just like Shrikanto?
2: Well, the recent report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, a scientific body, pointed out that all of us are at risk due to the impacts of climate change, including extreme temperature, extreme rainfall and sea level rise. So, climate change being a global problem requires a multilateral Coming together of different countries and of commitment right from the top from governments of countries.
1: That's Ulka Kelkar, who's uh, leading the climate research program at the World Resources Institute in India. Ulka has been working on climate change issues for the past 20 years.
2: I think there's a lot of anticipation this year because, as you know, last year the COP couldn't happen because of the pandemic. The other reason for some excitement is that the United States is back in the Paris Agreement. So there is some anticipation that this climate change COP is going to be an important one and will set the stage for decisive actions over the coming decade.
1: It can perhaps seem like a lot of hype around a conference of world leaders. While the seas are rising and the forests are on fire, Youth movements uh, like uh, Extinction Rebellion and Fridays for Future have understandably expressed frustration at this process. Even the Queen of England was recently heard voicing her irritation at world leaders talking more than they act.
2: Although there is a lot that private industry can do and a lot that we can do as individual human beings in terms of our behavior and the way we use energy and resources, It is still very important that governments set the right kinds of policies over the long term, that is, on a period of 10, 20, 30 years, in order to make sure that we achieve the kind of greenhouse gas emission reduction that is required.
1: The issue, of course, is that climate change is a global collective action problem. It cannot be solved by one country alone. We asked T. J. Raman, Senior Fellow, climate change at the MS Swaminathan Research Foundation in Chennai to explain.
0: The world requires a cooperative solution and not individual sacrifice to reach the goals of keeping the world safe. Even theoretically, if for 25 or say 20 years, we committed uh, no Emissions at all, we had zero emissions for 20 years, then uh, we would delay the onset of 1.5 degrees by less than two years, less than in fact about one and a half years. So, we don't matter in that sense, our individual emissions alone.
1: Individual action alone can't save us, but of course, uh, collective decisions take time despite the urgency of the situation.
3: In COP. There is no voting. There are about 200 countries who are members of UNFCCC, United Nations Framework Convention of Climate Change. Each and every country has to agree on something to take it forward.
1: That's Jointo Bushu, a Kolkata-based journalist specializing in environment and climate change. Jointo has been covering the Conference of Parties since 2009. Now, the person in charge of shepherding these world leaders is cop twenty six president, Alok Sharma, we tuned into his covering climate now press conference just a few days ago to learn more.
4: Well, I think the, the first thing to just uh, acknowledge, of course, I think the IPCC uh, report was, um, uh, uh, you know, a wake-up call. Quite frankly, I think uh, code red is the way that it's been described. I think that's absolutely right, uh, and uh, I think for for anyone who was in any doubt, the fact the fact that it emphatically Uh, stated that it is human activity that is causing uh, uh, climate change and global warming, uh, I I think was uh, very, very important. Based on the
1: dire warnings put forward by the panel scientists, a lot of cooperation and commitment needs to be achieved at the conference.
4: We are looking for countries to come forward with uh, uh, ambition on uh, mitigation. Secondly, uh, we have asked the uh, donor countries to step forward and deliver on the $100 billion that has been promised since 2009 uh, on an annual basis from 2020 onwards to support uh, developing nations. Uh, Thirdly, we've asked for countries to set out their plans on adaptation. And fourthly, for us to work together uh, to ensure that we can close off the Paris uh, rulebook. The overarching uh, ambition that uh, we have got uh, is that we want to be able to say, with credibility coming out of Glasgow, that we have kept... 1.5 1.5 uh, within reach, 1.5 uh, alive.
1: Some climate experts are sceptical about that, including Jayaraman and Joint Boshu. Even at
4: the
0: time of the Paris Agreement, several of us, uh, I personally certainly, and I wrote publicly about it, and several others realised that the chances of uh, keeping below the 1.5 degree target were uh, fairly slim because you had a very stringent target. The most stringent target we have spoken of on the one side and on the other side, we had the loosest arrangement. So we are left with a situation where the 1.5 degrees centigrade uh, is uh, aspired to but stays out of reach in the real world.
3: The world is going towards a 3 to 5 degree temperature rise under worst possible scenario, maybe 50 years down the line. So 1.5 degree temperature rise, put it very simply, 1.5 degree rise compared to the pre-industrial era is already being talked about as a doom, doom scenario. And if you think about a 3 to 5 degree centigrade, the world will not become habitable. So we are not talking about far down the field, down the line. So the world has to understand, each and every person on this world has to understand, this negotiation is all about survival.
1: Well, we are already at at least 1.1 degrees of global warming. So that's why it should be of utmost concern to everybody what gets decided in Glasgow. Now, of course, the stance of most developing countries, including India, is that they did little to create the situation, yet they now bear the brunt of climate change impacts. The negotiating table is not a level one. Here's Jayaraman with some numbers for context.
0: India, for instance, between 1850 and 2018, of all the cumulative emissions, which is, of course, what gives rise to temperature increase. Temperature increase is linearly proportional to cumulative emissions, and we have had uh, uh, we have had a one point zero seven centigrade increase in temperature. So since eighteen fifty or so, India has contributed four point three seven percent of cumulative emissions. So there's no sense in which we are responsible.
2: Even now, for example, India's per capita greenhouse gas emissions or per person greenhouse gas emissions are well below the world average. And the average American's consumption of fossil fuels is about 20 times that of an Indian's. So uh, this is why equity lies at the heart of global burden sharing on climate change. So we recognize that we all must play our part, but some of us have less of a historical responsibility and others have more of a financial capacity. So can we do some burden sharing together so that the world as a whole benefits?
1: That was Ulka explaining the concept of equity that should underlie action to combat climate change. In 2015, this understanding led to a pledge Enshrined in the Paris Agreement, rich industrialized nations of the world whose pollutants have already warmed up the planet would shore up $100 billion a year to help poor countries address climate change and pivot away from fossil fuels. That didn't happen.
4: Of course, we, we need to be doing more in terms of finance. It's disappointing that we weren't able to reach the 100 billion in 2020. There is confidence that we will reach the 100 billion in 2023. And over the five year period from 2021 to 2025, uh, we will uh, um, likely be above a 500 billion in, in aggregate.
1: Climate financing will be a big topic at COP26. Another huge area of debate is the nationally determined contributions. Jointo explains.
3: Each and every country who had signed Paris, part of the Paris Agreement, had to submit uh, something called NDC, that is the nationally declared commitment, that what they are committing to counter or to cut emission in their own country.
2: So India submitted its first nationally determined contribution under the Paris Agreement, in which it promised that it would do three things by 2030. First to reduce the GHG intensity of our GDP. That is, when we produce any goods and services, you know, our economic production, we will produce it more cleanly. We'll produce it through cleaner fuel sources by using energy more efficiently. It had set a target that it would reduce the GHG intensity of GDP by 30 to, 33 to 35% below 2005 levels by 2030. And recent trends show that it is very much on track to achieve this target. The second target that we announced was that by 2030, 40% of our electricity capacity would come from non-fossil fuel sources. And we have recently, in August of 2021, almost achieved this target nine years ahead of schedule.
4: India has made uh, uh, you know, massive efforts in terms of building out its renewable sector. I think um, uh, we're at 100 gigawatts now, and by 2030, the aim is to be at 450 uh, gigawatts. I think that's uh, incredibly welcomed. Uh, And uh, obviously, uh, Prime Minister Modi also announced a a national hydrogen mission. And again, hydrogen is an area where there are very many countries uh, focused. I'm encouraged by that.
1: But not everybody is so sure. It's important to point out that just recently, Climate Action Tracker, run by non-profit climate analytics and research group The New Climate Institute, found that India's action to mitigate climate change was highly insufficient. Under India's current targets and policies, emissions will continue to rise and are consistent with 4 degrees Celsius, the CAT stated. Johanthu Basu for one, is sure India can do better.
3: Because time is running out. Everybody is understanding. Uh, if you look at the global negotiation platform, India always tends to play from the back. I I, I, I really feel that India can be more aggressive, stronger, and uh, perhaps make more stronger commitment without compromising on its developmental need.
1: And the news hot of the press is that India has indeed made some ambitious new commitments at COP26. In a historic and unexpected announcement, Prime Minister Narendra Modi just surprised world leaders with a 2070 net zero target for the country. The other four pledges were equally transformative, India will up its non-fossil fuel energy capacity to 500 gigawatts by 2030. It will meet 50% of its energy requirements from renewable energy by 2030. It will reduce the total projected carbon emissions by 1 billion tons between now and 2030. And it will reduce its economy's carbon intensity to less than 45% by 2030. For these reasons, some climate experts like T.J. Rahman say India is walking the talk on its climate policy.
0: India is, I think, in terms of its renewable energy targets, in terms of its commitments, I think, is doing clearly and well. Punching well above its weight, punching well above its fair share.
1: The outcomes of the next few days will determine the course of the future. There is still an opportunity for us to ensure that we take action now in what is being described as a decisive decade. Let's hope that science leads the way and that leaders heed the code red that climate scientists have sounded, complex geopolitics notwithstanding. I'm Shubhra Priyadarshini and this is the Nature India Podcast. That's it for this episode. If you liked what you heard, stay tuned for more soon. In the meantime, you can check out our archives on the new Nature India website. We bring you insights on Indian science and scientists within the country and across the diaspora. Thanks to the DBT Welcome Trust India Alliance
2: for their support in producing this episode.